Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verse number 4. When Christ, who is in our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Please be seated. Okay. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate this time that we've been able to spend and worship together. And before we begin our lesson and before we begin thinking about some spiritual things together, one thing that I want to mention, one year ago tomorrow is the day that I preached the first sermon here at Seven Oaks as the preacher. I don't want to really say anything about me, but I want to say everything about you. The last year, there's been a lot of things happen, hasn't there? There's been a lot of good things. There's also been some bad things. But throughout it all, Leslie and I can say with great confidence that we're thankful to be a part of the family here at Seven Oaks. We're thankful for how you have loved us, thankful for how you've welcomed us, thankful for how you have encouraged us, and if the Lord wills, we look forward to a lot more time together to serve God and to make a difference in our community. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be studying in what was just read for us, verse number 4. If you'd like to join me there, Colossians chapter 3. And together this morning, we're going to be looking at verse number 4. Last week, we spent some time in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, preparing for our VBS, considering the Christian race and how we are to run the race that's set before us. But if you remember, two weeks before that, we began a series of lessons from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, talking about how we are to develop a spiritual perspective on life. We're talking about how we are to view the world, how we are to view life around us the way that God does. This week, as we study in Colossians 3 and verse 4, I not only want us to continue that series of lessons, but actually to conclude that series of lessons about developing a spiritual perspective on life. There was a high school boy whose dad had been a really successful track and field athlete. He, was, he had records, not only in his school or in his county, but records in the state. So to impress his father, in order to please his father, the son decided that he was going to join the track and field team. The only problem with that, though, is that he didn't have an athletic bone in his body. He was probably the most unathletic kid at the entire school, but was going to try track and field. On the first day of practice... The coach made him race one-on-one -on -one with the fastest kid on the team named Bill Williams. As you can imagine, that race didn't go so well for the boy that we're talking about. He ended up getting smoked. He was destroyed in that race. Bill Williams crossed the finish line like he hadn't been running at all. He didn't even break a sweat. Then several minutes later, this high school boy came through looking like he was about to die. He crossed the finish line, but barely. Whenever he got home that day, the first thing that his father asked him was about track and field. How did practice go today? Today was your first practice, right? How did you like it? Did you enjoy it? He said, yeah, practice went well today. Actually, coach made me race against the fastest kid on the team. You know Bill Williams? Yeah, I know Bill Williams. How did that race go? Here's how the boy answered. 
He said, the fastest kid on the team came in next to last, and I came in second. Well, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Everybody else that watched that race would have told you that he was destroyed. He didn't stand a chance in that race. He got beat by several minutes, but from his perspective, the fastest kid on the team came in next to last, and he came in second. It's two different ways, two different perspectives looking at the same race. As people, as human beings, there are a lot of different ways that we can look at life. There are a lot of different perspectives from which we can view the world around us. And that's why we've been looking at this series of lessons in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. As Christians, as those who have decided to follow Jesus, we don't want to view the world around us from a purely fleshly or physical perspective. We want to view the world around us from a spiritual and a heavenly perspective. When we think about life, when we look at people, whenever we think about ourselves, we don't want to view those things through our own eyes. We want to learn, we want to develop the capability to view those things from God's eyes. How would your life change if you learned to view the world the way that God does? How would your decisions, how would your choices, how would your priorities change? How would you change interacting with other people if you learned to see this world not from a physical perspective, but from a spiritual perspective? But then the question that we have to ask is, how can we do that? How can we develop the capability to view the world from a spiritual perspective? How can we learn to view this life the way that God does? And what we've been saying in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4, through 4, is that there are three words that we need to understand. If we're going to view this world, if we're going to view our lives the way that God does, from God's point of view, there are three ideas that we need to get. The first one we talked about three weeks ago purpose. In other words, we have to be able to ask and answer the questions, why are we here? What is our lives supposed to be all about? What is our purpose in this life? And you see what Paul says to that. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, if you've made commitment to Jesus in baptism, buried with Him in baptism, raised up with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, Colossians 2 and verse 12, then seek the things that are above. Our purpose in this life is to seek after spiritual things because we're setting our minds on spiritual things. Pursue things that are above because your mind is set, your heart is set on things that are above. The second word that we have to get is the word identity. We talked about this two weeks ago. We have to be able to ask and answer the questions, who are we? What defines us? Where do we find our identity? And when we look at what Paul says in verses 3 and 4 of Colossians 3, we find first that we're not who we used to be. He says at the beginning of verse 3, you have died. We don't carry around the sin and the brokenness and the guilt and the shame that we used to have. We're not who we used to be. And because of that, our identity is found solely in Christ. Who we are is wrapped up in who Jesus is. Paul says that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4 says that Christ is our life. He is the priority of priorities to us. He is the priority that determines and directs every other priority. 
If we're going to develop a spiritual perspective in life, we have to understand our spiritual purpose while we're here. We have to understand our spiritual identity, who we are. But there's one more word that we need to understand, and that's going to be the word that we're talking about this morning, eternity. If we're going to see life the way that God does, we have to get it right here. We have to understand our purpose. We have to understand our identity while we're on this earth. But we also have to understand our identity. We have to be able to confidently answer the question, where am I going when this life is over? What's on the other side of death? Whenever this life vanishes, what is the next one going to be like? You see what Paul says about that in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. We're going to divide this verse in half as we consider it. So notice the first half of Colossians 3 and verse 4. It says when, not if. There's some certainty here. When Christ, who is your life, appears. When you look back over Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, have you noticed the great emphasis on the word Christ. I'm no mathematician, but I can count this high. When you go through these four verses and you underline every time you find the word Christ, you're going to underline it four times. That averages to one time per verse. And so ask yourself the question, when you read these first four verses of Colossians 3, what is this text all about? What is Paul wanting to communicate? What is the main idea of this passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4? through And what you're going to find is that this text is all about Christ. This text is all about the Anointed One of God. It's all about our prophet, our priest, our king who loves us so much. Look at what Paul said about Christ so far in this section of Scripture. First, he says in verse 1 that we've been raised up with Christ. We've been buried in baptism and raised up with Jesus through the powerful working of God. Where is Christ now? Well, verse 1 says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 3, in talking about our identity, Paul says that our lives have been hidden with Christ in God. Who we are is wrapped up in who He is. And then verse 4 says that Christ is our life. Like we said, the priority of priorities, the priority that touches everything in our lives. It controls everything in our lives. It all goes back to Christ. But then when you look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, that same Christ is going to do something else one day in the future. What is it? What is Christ going to do? Well, the same Christ that we've been raised up with, the same Christ that is seated at the right hand of God, the same Christ with, with whom our lives are hidden, the same Christ who is our life in verse 4 is going to one day appear. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is going to return. Jesus Christ is going to come back. Where is Jesus when you go back to verse 1? Seated at the right hand of God. We mentioned this three weeks ago, but here we can mention it again. As Jesus sits at the right hand of God, He's not hiding from us, but He is hidden from us. We don't see Jesus with our eyes. Jesus is hidden from our sight. It's like what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Peter says that we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory because of Jesus, even though we don't see Him right now. 
Even though He's hidden from our eyes. Right now, He's at the right hand of God, serving as our intercessor, our mediator, and our faithful high priest. But then when you read just three verses later, you find it's not going to be that way forever. Right now, Jesus is hidden from our eyes. We don't see Him, but one day He's going to appear. One day, Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to come back. I love how the Hebrew writer communicates that. In Hebrews 9 and verse 28, he says that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. 2,000 years ago, Jesus appeared the first time. One day, He's going to appear a second time. And it's going to be to save us, to save those who are eagerly waiting in faithful obedience for Him. Revelation 1 and verse 7 tells us that Jesus is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. When Jesus appears, it's not going to go unnoticed. When Jesus appears, it's not going to be a secret. No, when Jesus appears, every single eye is going to see it. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 says that the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. He's not going to send somebody on His behalf. He's not going to send an ambassador. No, when He returns, He's going to be the one who returns. He Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? When Jesus Christ Himself descends from the heavens down to the earth, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. In Acts, the first chapter, Jesus ascends back to the Father. And the apostles are standing there. I imagine them with their mouths wide open, watching Him as He ascends into the heavens. An angel spoke directly to the apostles and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. One day, the one who we've been raised up with, the one with whom our lives are hidden, the one who is seated at the right hand of God, the one who is our life is going to appear. He's going to return. He's going to come back. There's no doubt about that. But then the question is, how does that impact us? How does that impact our lives? What's the word we're talking about this morning? The word eternity? Jesus Christ is going to return. What kind of bearing does that have on our eternity? Where we are going when this life is over? We keep reading in Colossians 3 and verse 4. The Bible says, When Christ who is your life appears, then what? Then you also will appear with Him in glory. Compare this, contrast this with what Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 3. That right now the Bible says our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Who we are is wrapped up in who He is. Notice how that thought transitions into Colossians 3 and verse 4. One day we're not going to be hidden with Him, but we are going to appear with Him. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. One day we're going to get to be with Jesus. One day we are going to get to remain with Jesus for all of an eternity in the indescribable glories of heaven. Let's look at that in a little bit more detail. We know that when that happens, there's going to be a glorious 
resurrection. We read from 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, the first half of that verse a few moments ago, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. Notice what's going to happen when Jesus appears, when Jesus returns. The text says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I don't know where we're going to be whenever this happens. We do know that it is going to happen. We know that it's going to be the most amazing day that we're ever going to see. It's going to be the most amazing day that this earth has ever seen. The day when Jesus returns. But we don't know when this is going to take place. Maybe it's going to take place 2,000 years from now. And all of us in here this morning are going to be dead. We're going to be gone. We're going to be buried and completely forgotten about you're not going to be forgotten about by Jesus. If Jesus returns 2,000 years from now and we are dead in the grave, Scripture promises us that we're going to be raised. We're going to be resurrected. And as we're resurrected, we're going to meet the Lord in the air and from that point forward into all of an eternity, dwell in His presence. But maybe it won't be 2,000 years from now. Maybe it's the case that Jesus returns five minutes from now. I hope He does. I hope He allows us the opportunity to work through this text and to work through these ideas and to see how we're going to respond to it. But it could very well be the case that Jesus returns in five minutes before we even finish this worship service. Can you picture it? Jesus Christ Himself descends from heaven. The first moment where our eyes see Him. And as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when we hear that cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, as we see the dead in Christ rising, we are called up to meet Him in the air. And from that point forward, alongside of those who are dead in Christ, have the opportunity to dwell in His presence for all of an eternity. One day there's going to be a glorious resurrection. And in that glorious resurrection, there's going to be a glorious transformation. Whenever we're resurrected, our bodies are going to be changed. Our bodies are going to be transformed. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42-44. through 44. In context, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And he's asked the question, what are our bodies going to be like? He describes a change. He says in 42, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. When Jesus returns and we rise up to meet Him, our bodies are going to be changed. This per perishable, corruptible body is going to become imperishable and incorruptible. This weak body, Paul says, is going to be raised in power. This dishonorable, broken body is going to be raised up, how? In glory. It's going to be a glorious transformation. This natural, physical body is going to become a spiritual body. And we ask, I want a little bit more detail. Can you explain to me what that's going to look like? Well, I don't think we can go in any more detail besides that. But we can summarize it very simply by saying, our bodies are going to become like Jesus' body. 
Do you see that in Philippians 3, beginning in 20? He says, Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior. Who is it? The Lord Jesus Christ. What's Jesus Christ going to do? He's going to transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Do you remember what Jesus said about Himself in Matthew the 28th chapter? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. The very same power and authority that Jesus uses to subject all of creation to Himself, He's going to use to transform us. To change us. These lowly, physical, flesh and blood bodies are going to become like His glorious body. John puts it very simply in 1 John 3 and verse 2. We know. There's confidence there. We know that not if He appears, but when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Whenever we see Jesus as He is, as He descends from the heavens, we will be changed, we will be transformed to become just like He is. There will be a glorious resurrection. There will be a glorious transformation. There's also going to be a glorious judgment. Matthew 25 puts it this way. Jesus is going to return with His holy angels. And whenever that's completed, He's going to sit down on His throne of glory and all nations are going to be gathered before Him. He's going to separate them from one another just like a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Paul pictures that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, we must all, no exceptions, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. I think sometimes whenever we quote this verse, we use it to scare people. And let me say just over here as an aside, if you're not a Christian, this verse should scare you. If you're a Christian who's not living like a Christian, this verse should bring fear into your heart. Because if you're not a Christian, if you're not living faithfully as a Christian, one day you're going to stand before Jesus, and if you continue in that state, you're going to stand before Him unprepared. You're going to stand before Him not ready. Do you think it's a good idea to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ not prepared to meet Him? Not prepared, not ready to stand in His presence? So if you're not a Christian, this, this verse should bring fear into your heart. But if you are a Christian and you're striving after Jesus every day, there's no more beautiful words than these. These words are music to our ears. Do you know why? Because one day it's just going to be you and Jesus. One on one. You're going to be looking in His eyes and He's going to be looking in your eyes. What are you going to do in that moment? Maybe you'll fall down before Him. Maybe you'll be brought to tears. Maybe you'll be jumping up and down with joy and celebration. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know what He's going to do. He's going to look at us and say the words that we've been striving to hear our entire lives. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Come into this kingdom that's been prepared for you from the very foundation of the world. In other words, come into this place. Spend an eternity with me. This is where you belong. There's going to be a glorious resurrection. And in that resurrection, there's going to be a glorious transformation. One day we're going to stand face to face with Jesus and there's going to be a glorious judgment. When we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, that will be the beginning of a glorious eternity.
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall appear with Jesus in glory. And there's a lot we could say about that eternity this morning. I would suggest to you that we could stay here for several hours and describe this eternity and not even scratch the surface. But let's just put a few thoughts in our minds about what Scripture has to say about this glorious eternity. Revelation 7 and verse 16 says that there will be no more hunger, there will be no more thirst, and there will be no more scorching heat. That might be good news to you after the summer that we've been having. But the message there, there's going to be nothing that's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to be a place of absolute joy and peace Revelation 21 and verse 4 says that there's going to be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Death is not going to exist, and God Himself is going to be the one who wipes away every tear from every eye. Sadness, shame, guilt, remorse, sorrow, is no longer going to exist. All of that is going to fade away and be replaced with life and joy and happiness and peace. But then what really makes heaven heaven is described in Revelation 21 and verse 3. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. What do you picture when you think about heaven? What's the first thought that comes into your mind? Maybe you think about streets of gold. Maybe you think about gates of pearls. Maybe you think about reuniting with loved ones who have gone on before you. And we should think about those things. But that's not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven what it is, is that God's going to be there. We're going to get to dwell in His presence. We're going to have the opportunity to look on His face, not just one time, but forever. For all of an eternity. Can you picture what heaven is going to be like? I know that might be a little bit small. We're not going to read it all. But when you look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9-12, through we're given a glimpse into what this glorious eternity is going to be like. John says there's going to be a multitude that nobody can number from every tribe and language and nation and culture. And alongside of this great multitude is going to be what he calls the four living creatures. There's going to be the entire host of angels. This great multitude, the four living creatures, all of the angels in existence are going to fall down before the great white throne of God and the Lamb who was slain for us crying out what? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Towards the end of the text, we're going to cry out as we fall down before our our Savior, blessing and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God into the eternity forever and ever. Amen. In this glorious eternity, you're going to be a part of that multitude. You're going to be the one of the people falling down before God, not because of the good things that you've done, but because how you have responded to His grace through faith. Like we said, there's a lot we could say about this glorious eternity, but perhaps we can summarize it all the way that Paul did in Philippians 1 and verse 23. What do I need to know about eternity in heaven? It is far better. This life hurts. In this life, we go through trial. In this life, we go through temptation. 
But in this glorious eternity, when we depart and we're with Christ, we're going to find something that is so much better than anything we can even imagine. See, if you want to develop a spiritual perspective on life, if you want to see life the way that God does, you have to get your identity, you have to get your purpose, but you also have to understand your, your eternity. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That word eternity, it's a hard word to define. It's a hard word for us to consider because our minds are so limited. We can't even imagine something that goes on and on forever. It's difficult for us to imagine something that has no end. The world that we live in is based on time. Everything that we do, every day of our lives is all about time. Even when we assembled to worship together this morning, we started at a specific time. We are so time-oriented, and so it's hard for us to picture, it's hard for us to illustrate this idea of eternity. But I want to take a stab at it for just a second here as we get ready to close. I know that this illustration is going to be limited in a lot of different ways. Have you noticed the yellow streamer circling the auditorium on the wall? You might have thought that was VBS decorations that was left over. No, all the VBS decorations are taken down. We've taken care of those. As you look around at this yellow streamer, allow that to represent eternity. As it circles the entire room, this is something that goes on and on forever. This is something that has absolutely no end. And I don't know, maybe in the back it might be difficult to see this, but can you see this little red part of the streamer right here? Allow that to represent your life. Allow that to represent the 50, the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that you spend on this earth. Do you know what we oftentimes do as people? We become so focused in what happens in this little red streamer, we don't even consider the yellow streamer that wraps around the entire room. We get so caught up in what happens in this life. We get so caught up in the busyness of life that we don't even think about eternity. We don't even think about this glorious eternity in heaven that Jesus is offering us when Christ, who is your life, appears what? What is Jesus offering? Jesus is offering to us an eternity with Him. He's offering to us an eternity in His presence surrounded by the glories of heaven. Jesus offers to you and He offers to me a glorious resurrection, a glorious transformation, a glorious judgment, a glorious forever. And then you look at the majority of people in the world. The majority of people in the world are going to let that slip away. The majority of people on the face of the planet today are not going to embrace this eternity that Jesus offers whenever this life is over. Why is that? Well, it's because they're so focused on what's going on in this small part right here. They're not even considering what's going to happen in eternity. 
So focused in the pleasures and the comforts of daily life. So caught up in the busyness of the moment that they don't even consider what Jesus is offering into the ages. Can I beg you this morning to not be one of those people? Can I beg you this morning to not get so caught up in this that you give up all of that? To get so caught up in such a short existence that we forfeit an eternity in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will be with Him in glory. Will you be with Him? I don't know about you, but I want to see this world the way that God does. I want to view my life from a spiritual perspective. But if I'm going to do that, there are three things that I have to get. I have to understand my purpose. I'm not here for me. I'm not here for my job. I'm not here for my family. I'm here to seek and pursue spiritual things because I'm setting my mind on spiritual things. I have to understand who I am. My identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Who I am is determined by who He is. He is my life. He's the one who I am hidden with. But then ultimately, we have to understand where we're going. We have to understand our eternity. When Jesus comes back, we'll have the opportunity to appear with Him in the indescribable glories of heaven. That's how we live with a spiritual perspective. That's how we view life the way that God does. Find your purpose in Jesus. Find your identity in Jesus so that one day you'll have the opportunity to spend an eternity with Jesus. The question that causes some reflection on our parts is are we doing that? Are we finding our purpose and identity in Christ? If, you, if Jesus were to return today, He very well could. Would you spend an eternity with Him? If you're not a Christian, it's time to make that decision. If you believe in Jesus, there's no reason why you cannot be baptized, immersed for the forgiveness of your sins today in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. At least ask about it. Ask questions. Me or Jacob, one of the elders, one of the deacons. Ask somebody, what do I need to do to make my life right with Jesus? And we'll be happy to talk to you. Or maybe you are a Christian and you have made that commitment to Jesus, but you're not living faithfully to it. Your purpose isn't right. Your identity isn't right. And because those things aren't right, you have some fears about your eternity. You don't have to live with those fears. You can be right with the Lord and we can do that this morning. That's the reason we're here, to pray for one another and to encourage one another. Don't give up all of that just for that. Don't give up an eternity with Jesus just for a short existence here. Place your purpose in Jesus. Place your identity in Jesus so that one day you'll have the opportunity to spend an eternity with Jesus. Do it now as together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.